Will you please stand if you're able? This is the Holy Gospel according to St. John from the 19th, the 19th chapter found on page 1861. Glory to you, O Christ. John 19, verses 17 through 30. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now many of the Jews read this sign, for the place was where Jesus, the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. And the chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. Now this garment was seamless, woven in one piece, from top to bottom. Let us not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. Now this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister and Mary, the life of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, behold your son. And to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and they lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. The greatest offense in the church is the cross. It is the scandal of scandals. It is a stumbling block 
for all nations. The cross in the sanctuary right now, there and, and here, are veiled. The image is cloaked in darkness as Christ was covered by the darkness of sin and death and judgment. On Passion Sunday, Christ hid himself from the Jewish leaders lest they stone him before it was the right time to lay down his life. You see, the knowledge of Christ and the atonement was not revealed to the wisdom of men. So there is a hiddenness about the cross. The cross is foolishness to the human mind. And what God has done there confounds the best thoughts that man can think up apart from the Spirit of God. A veil of ignorance concerning these matters remains upon the minds of all who are perishing, all who are perishing apart from faith. So consequently, the sight of the cross is an offense. What God has done there appears ugly and nasty. So many, even some Christians, shy away from the sight of a crucifix. What they want is a nice, sanitized cross that they will more easily accept. But why is there a need to show the suffering, the suffering dead Son of God? It seems so cruel and so painful and, and so awful. We naturally like the beautiful Savior. We do not like the hideous Redeemer. Or, as the Lord said through Isaiah, the holy prophet, which we heard tonight, as many were astonished at you, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. The ugliness of the cross includes this, that we, the human race, rejected Christ. We didn't want a Savior. 
We did not want him to shed blood for us. The very best of the pious among us might have said with Peter, Never, Lord, this will never happen to you. We did not want nor think that we needed this ugly, nasty atonement. We would have preferred a nice, gentle, pretty atonement. Sweet. Clean. Pleasant. But that is really the old Adam pulling the wool over his own eyes. The old Adam that was drowned in our baptism wants us to cover up our eyes. We do not want a redemption by blood because we think that our sin is not all that serious. But it is most gravely serious. Our sins show a rejection of the law of God. Our sins show a rejection of his right to judge us, which is also why we naturally turn away from the crucifix. We want ourselves on the throne and God serving us. We want the right to complain to him when things go wrong, as if he were some employee whose work performance we have the right to evaluate. You've seen me say, I wouldn't do it that way. It's our flesh. We want the right to make our own choices and determine our own course and follow our own heart as if we are pure of heart and mind. And when we want to be on the throne as judge, we do not realize what that means. Christ shows us. He says, here is the throne. And he allows himself to be nailed to the cross. He says, here is the crown. And they jab thorns into his brow. That is what the king does. He dies to save his people. And nowhere is he more the king than on the cross. That ugly, nasty, sorrowful, place. Christ is indeed the king of glory. He is exalted on high, yet his appearance as he wants to be known to us is a jolting shock. What he considers glory is repulsive to our flesh. Now the banner and the flag of Christianity is the cross. It's right there. If we learn by the Spirit's 
teaching. If we learn by the Spirit's teaching, we see the cross as the wonder and majesty of God's love for us. When we learn to love the image of, a, of our Savior's suffering, we are taught what true glory is to us. The knowledge of the Savior has come, and we Gentiles had good news come to us. We are not Christ's people without any right to his heritage or inheritance. Yet his testament is also for us. It says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All. Not some. All. Not some had their sins placed upon the suffering servant who is Jesus Christ, all. And he would not allow any, any sins to go unatoned for. And even so, many will not receive the benefits because they reject the benefactor. But for us, for us who see the truth of his cross, we know that he has died for us. So Isaiah says, For that which they had not been told, they shall see. And that which they had not heard, they shall consider. So, stay with me. So we see the sight of the Savior crucified for us. We see our sins placed upon his body on the tree. And we see our salvation in his blood, written in his blood. This is the meaning of what the prophet writes, that he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. They are our sorrows, not his. He, the beautiful and holy, gracious Son of God, in his immaculate grace, should never have had to shed a single tear. But he wanted, out of love for us, and obedience to his Father. He wanted to carry all the pain that belonged to us. And our pain should have been eternal. And there should have been no end to our suffering, no comfort for our sorrows. But Christ, he took all of that upon himself. And here is the core of the scandal of the cross. The cross shows us, like a mirror, exactly what we deserve. If we cannot accept the fact, then we will take offense that anyone would judge us that harshly. Our flesh says that surely we do not deserve hell and all its anguish. 
which can only be removed from us by the atonement of the life of the Son of God. But if we accept it and and say, this is God having mercy upon me, the sinner, then we receive the cross as a precious treasure to us. So it says, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. The word seed usually means descendants. But Christ had neither children nor wife, at least not according to the flesh. And although he did not have children by blood, he had them by his blood. He created his family and household by the redemption that he suffered to accomplish. This seems to be the meaning of that difficult word that Isaiah, Isaiah wrote in chapter 9 when he, when he wrote, For unto us a child is born. You remember this? Unto us a Savior or a Son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Now the difficulty comes where it says that Christ will be called Father. But Christ is not the Heavenly Father, although he is equal to the Father and one with the Father. Yet Christ does not have children in that he begets us by his redemption. And by the cross we are made his people. We are born in the waters of baptism in which we are united to him in his death. Renewed, born again. So we are his children by faith. Or to say it in the words of Isaiah, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. That Christ creates children by redemption is clearly the meaning in our text today. Because Isaiah says, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. And therefore it is in the act of suffering and dying that Christ creates his church his church, which is his seed. We are given birth by the forgiveness of sins found in the blood shed on Calvary. Or, to say it another way, because he died, we live. So Christ cries out, it is finished. Isaiah says, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Before he reached the cross, Christ was filled with sorrow and wished it were already accomplished. And when it was completed and his sacrifice was perfectly attained to the very last, 
Then he was deeply satisfied. He had accomplished the most magnificent and wonderful thing that had ever been done. Not just a, a magnum opus, but a opus maximus. That is the very greatest work that none better could exist. If anyone is to be righteous, if anyone is to be righteous, it must be through faith in this work of the suffering servant on the cross. Christ and him crucified. And by his knowledge, that is the knowledge about him, which includes faith in him, in this we are declared innocent by the great judge. There is no other way to be innocent in God's sight. This is the main point of the text and the main, the main point of the cross. If we are caught up in absurd questions like, how could God let his son suffer so much, then we will not get it. Or if we take offense and say, the cross is too ugly, or the cross is too Roman Catholic, then we miss the point. But if we learn through the Holy Spirit to know Christ through the cross, then we get it. If we see in the cross the defeat of sin and death, then we have what we see. And if we see that the cross is our victory, then we understand it properly. The thief, next to Christ, he understood. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The thief did not see the true meaning of Christ in the ugliness or the tragedy or the injustice. No, he saw the king entering his kingdom. He saw the man to whom one must beg in order to enter the kingdom. So we beg. We say, Lord, have mercy on us. Crucified Lord, remember us also in your kingdom. And it's not as if he has a faulty memory. No, he sees and he loves us and he will never forget us. And we will surely enter his kingdom by his grace, his grace alone. And for the mighty king... We know the mighty king has won the battle. We know that he has crushed the head of the serpent, and he has carried away the spoils of war. What are those? Well, we are the spoils of the war. We are the treasure he has carried off from the devil's kingdom, where once we were held captive in our sinful wretchedness. And all this, the wonderful mystery of the holiest man taking the place of sinners, he was numbered among the transgressors so that we might be numbered 
among the saints. And so we are. Yes, you are. In the name of Jesus. Amen.